Open your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Thessalonians, sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We are beginning again our series on how to study the Bible. And I wanted to produce a new introduction to it, and so that's what we're going to do this morning. And I want to talk about why it's important to study the Bible and why it's important to know how to study the Bible. And the first thing is we bring glory to God by studying His Word, because that's where we learn about God. We're going to dive into that a little bit more carefully, and I want you to see some things. So if you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now we beseech you, brethren, so who's being addressed there? Believers. These are people that have placed their faith and trust in Christ alone for their eternal life. That's the audience. Now, now we beseech you, that's beg you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. So you have two events, the, the coming of the Lord and our gathering unto him. Verse 2, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let's read the first part of verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means. Let no man deceive you by any means. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we study your word today. And Father, as we, as we begin to build a method of understanding your word, Lord, help us understand that our method is not important. Your words are. And our, our method ought to bring out the meaning of those words. So please help us to understand Help us to bring glory to you through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this morning, I want to speak to you on how to keep from being deceived. How many of you know there's a lot of deceived people in the world? Uh, I mentioned it in the Sunday School Hour. The Journal of the American Medical Association just came out this week with a, with a major study about masking children in school and how dangerous it is to mask kids in school. Now, I'm not a scientist, but how many of you know that you exhale for a reason? How many of you know that? Would you raise your hands? And so what happened in this study was they found out that after 20 minutes, a child has two and a half times the carbon dioxide in their blood than is allowed by OSHA for a grown man working an eight-hour shift. 20 minutes. And yet we're going to do that to our kids all day. And so people were deceived about that, that masks are healthy for children. That was a deception. How many of you know that? Be honest with me. How many of you know that was a deception? And I understand we're all trying to protect the kids and everything, but you don't protect them by hurting them. So we live in a time, and don't worry, this is not a political sermon today, but that's just, a, that's just the most recent example of deception. So I want us to look at how to keep from being deceived. See, false teachers, either out of ignorance or malice, use the Bible to deceive and control people. Isn't that true? So, for a long time, women weren't allowed to be in leadership. Now, they're not allowed to be pastors and teachers. The Bible's very clear about that. But the, it, out, out in the, the broader uh, world, why? Because people use the Bible to say that women are supposed to be submissive to men. The Bible never says that. The Bible says that Laura is to submit to her own husband. Ladies, that's hard enough. Right? <laughs> Big amen from Laura. 
And so, do you see the difference? How many of you know there's a difference between submitting to your own husband and submitting to every man? There's a big difference. There's a huge cultural difference. Now, I don't have time to get into the place of the the woman in the home and how important that is. It's important, isn't it? And that, that in many cases, a woman is stepping down from what, where she would find her greatest fulfillment to have a career outside of the home. In other places, ladies are able to do both of those very well. Praise God for that. I don't have an opinion on that. That's not my job. That's, that's for you, between you and God and your home. Amen? And yet, you can see how missing just a few simple words in the Bible causes people to reject the Bible. False teachers, out of either ignorance or malice, use the Bible to deceive and control people. So, this is Romans chapter 16, and I want you to notice some things in the passage. Now, let's step back for a second. I told Laura during the song service to pray for me because my mind's a little out of sorts today. I have so much running through my mind that, I, that I've got I've to slow down. How many of you noticed that I couldn't remember Travis's name? I stood here for a minute. Travis, what the tell, how the tell, sir. What I hope you notice, we have guests here every week. I'm sure we have guests here today. What I hope that you notice about Grace Baptist Church is our authority is the Bible. And everyone in the room is using the same version of the Bible so that we can, we can be in agreement in this place. And so we understand, just like you understand any literature, you ready for a profound statement, stuff that you can only get at Grace Baptist Church. You understand literature by looking at the words. Isn't that right? And yet in a lot of places, they don't really look at the words of the Bible, they look at the ideas of the Bible. And they'll put up, I don't know, I, I, I read a book one time where the guy used 25 different translations of the Bible. How could the, how could the crowd ever follow along with that teaching? You'd have to walk in with a library, right? And so what I hope that you notice at Grace Baptist is we're going to look at the words, we're going to allow the Bible to say what it says, we're not going to change the Bible, we're going to agree with the Bible. Okay, so now notice what these words are. Romans 16, 17, you can look in your own Bible. There's a Bible under the, the seat in front of you if you want to use that. Or you can just look up at the screen. Romans 16, 17. Now I beseech you, brethren. Notice that that's the same thing that he said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. Same words. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses. Mark them. What does that mean? That means to point them out. So, Sam, stop causing trouble. (laughs) And it's interesting, if you stop, I got to say this, can you believe how tall this kid is? It's unbelievable. How old are you? He's 16, and I look up to him. Okay, now, (laughs) this is where modern Christianity would stop. In the passage, mark them which cause divisions and offenses. Why do you have to be so divisive? Why can't we all get along? Remember Promise Keepers. Uh, Tom Ferrier 
years ago, I had first become pastor here 24 years ago. Promise Keepers was going on, and someone had asked him about Promise Keepers, and he said, um, I, I'm not going to participate in any organization that requires me to set my doctrine aside to join. That's good, isn't it? Now, let me just say this. I'm thankful for anybody that Promise Keepers helped. There are a lot of men that Promise Keepers helped their marriages and their homes. How many of you are thankful for marriages and homes being helped? But when they require me to say, you can't be a Baptist here, you can't believe this particular passage of Scripture here, here's what the Bible tells us to do. Now, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. Not just divisions and offenses, because doctrine always divides. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to divide mother and child, divisions. How many of you have had divisions in your family because you chose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? So this text is not against divisions. It's against divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine that Paul had taught or which ye have learned, and avoid them. So mark them and avoid them. That means don't be with them. Don't sit under their teaching. Why? Verse 18, For they that are such, what are the such? They cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. They deceive the hearts of the simple. I want you to notice something else about this. Here's what false teachers do. A false teacher is not teaching for God's glory and your benefit. It's for themselves. So recently, how many of you saw, it's been the last couple of years, was it Creflo Dollar or whatever, that God had told him that the church needed to buy him a a private jet $40 million. How many of you saw that? Well, I think he's right, and so we're going to take up an offering for me, and I'm going to start teaching so that I can get a whole lot more money. No. That is the most inappropriate use of God's money that I could ever imagine. How many of you know that there are planes? Right? And remember, Kenneth Copeland said he couldn't fly on that plane because he couldn't pray with all the devils on on the plane. He's talking about you, by the way, just so you know. That, that's a false teacher who is teaching for their own belly, for their own benefit. It's not about God or the people. It's about the teacher. But notice how they do it. Good words and fair speeches. If they were lousy speakers, if they were not persuasive, people wouldn't listen to them. John Hagee is an excellent speaker. Anybody ever heard, ever heard John Hagee preach? He's a good speaker. He's also an immoral man. Had an affair with the secretary, left his wife, married the secretary. He, he wanted to get in good with the nation of Israel, so he started teaching that Jews don't need to be saved because the, under the old covenant. Did the Apostle Paul believe that Jews needed to be saved? You see... And so now here's what happens. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm teaching about people being deceived, and I'm, I'm marking some false teachers as I teach. But the problem is modern Christianity wants to stop in verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses. So 
in many Christians' mind, I'm doing something wrong by identifying false teachers. When what are we doing? We're actually obeying the text. You see? Praise God for anybody that gets saved through the ministry of John Hagee. I think a lot of people have gotten saved through his ministry. Praise God for that. But where he teaches falsely, we have to identify that because it's public. It's out in the open, and that's just an example of it. But they do it by good words and fair speeches. They are very good teachers. They're very good. They're very effective communicators. But notice what they do. They deceive the mind. Is that what it says? What, what is it? Hearts. This is such an interesting thing. What does the Bible say? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, huh, same introduction, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You don't serve your body. You don't teach and preach to fulfill your, to, to, to satisfy your body. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Again, if you're a guest here, how many of you know, did, did you notice that the church could answer that, that the church could finish that verse? That's interesting, isn't it? You know, that doesn't happen in a lot of other places. Why? This, because our heartbeat, our passion is the Word of God. We believe it, and God deals with your heart through your mind. If you start with your heart, here's the problem. The heart of man, according to Jeremiah, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible in the book of 1 John says that your heart will deceive you. And so God deals with your wicked heart, with my wicked heart. He deals with that through your mind as your mind is renewed by the word of God. Let's talk about fair speeches and good words. So, um, I could talk when I was little. My ability to stand up and communicate to you, I guess I've developed it, but, but pretty much God gave that to me. I can just talk. How many of you know people that are, they're just good talkers, right? And so I studied a lot. I got into college ministry at Purdue University. I started doing debates. I went to I'd do ministry at Purdue to lead people to Christ, and I would do debates, at Oklahoma State, where we had our ministry, one time we were bringing in a creation speaker. And so in promoting it, I stood out in the middle of the, the, the quad or whatever they called it. And it's where all the students would come through during classes or in between classes. And I put up a sign about creation and I took on all comers. I, there, there were hundreds of people debating me on creation. But honestly, it's not really that hard because we have the truth. Amen. Do you know how many of those people I led to the Lord? Take a guess. Zero. None. Why? By fair speeches and good words, 
you can't, you can't lead people to Jesus Christ. You can't do it. Do you know what people need? They need the Word of God. They need the Word of God. And so the way that we persuade people about the truth is through the Word of God, appealing to their mind, allowing the Holy Spirit to convict their heart through the Word of God. And I'm going to demonstrate that from the Scriptures. But notice what it says again. Again, we're looking at the words of this verse. For they that are such, verse 18, serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. The simple. Who are the simple? People that have not learned. They have not learned. So simple people that are good and kind people can be persuaded in their hearts by good words and fair speeches uh, to be deceived. And our text in first, I'm sorry, in Second Thessalonians demonstrates that. All right. So how do I keep from being simple? How do I how do I keep from doing that? Well, to understand the Bible, you must first know the author. Who, who, wrote, who wrote the Bible? God. So if you want to understand the Bible, you need to know who God is. But how do you know who God is? Through the Bible. Through the Bible. You have to understand the author. How do I come to know the author? 2 Timothy 3.15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able, those scriptures to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So we're saved by faith as we become wise in the way of salvation through the Scriptures, not through what you do, not through your good works, not through communion, not through baptism, not through... We just took an offering, right? A week or so ago, we did baptism. We'll take the Lord's Supper here soon. The, None of those things are God's method of salvation, right? We are made wise unto salvation through the Holy Scriptures. What, what does that mean? Look at 1 Peter 1, 23-25. It says, being born again, being born again. We have a lady in the church. She was born again. That means she was saved, and I'll explain that to you here in a second. And her mother went to her religious leader and said, my daughter said she's born again. What does that mean? And the religious leader said, that means she's demon-possessed. Now, I don't have time to go to Matthew chapter 12, but that is the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. That statement is the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost according to Matthew chapter 12. If you want to look that up, make a note of that and go and read Matthew 12. That's exactly what happened. It's attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So here, here, this is very important. Being born again, to be born again, do you know what that means? Just real carefully, let me tell you what it means. And again, you get truth here that you might not get somewhere else. It means to be born again. Anybody here, you were born. Did you raise your hands? Okay. So how many of you know what that means? So what would it mean to be born again? Do I enter again into my mother's womb? No. You have to be born of water and of the Spirit. You must be born again. See, here's Bible math. If you're born once, you're going to die twice. You're going to die physically, and then you're going to suffer the torments of hell, which is called the second death forever. If you're born again... 
You may die in this physical life, but you'll live forever with God. That's what it means to be born again. How does that happen? How does this new birth take place? Being born again, not of corruptible seed. Have you ever planted seeds and they didn't grow? Pretty much all of my seeds do that. I have a brown thumb. All right? Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, huh, by the word of God. Does it say by baptism? Does it say by communion? Does it say by church membership? By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Why? For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. Laura has these daylilies in the front yard, and they're turning brown, and the, the leaves are starting to fall off of them. That's us. That's us. Man, I was watching some guys. I, I can't watch the NBA right now with all the junk that's been going on. It just bothers me. And so I've been watching on YouTube rec league games. <laughs> and it's really fun. And, and they were playing shirts and skins. And I, and I was watching these guys. And I used to play shirts and skins. Nobody wants to see me like that anymore. <laughs> Why? My glory, such as I had, is fading away. That's us. That's us. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth. And the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. What's the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Finish it for me. According to the scriptures. Why is it important to rightly divide the word of truth? Why is it important to study the Bible? Because the Bible is where we learn about how we can be born again, how that we can have eternal life, how that we can be saved. And there are all kinds of men who through good words and fair speeches, either through ignorance or malice, are teaching you a false way of salvation. How do you discern that? By learning exactly what the Bible says about it, and then the Bible says, let God be true, but every man a liar. If Jim Alter says something that contradicts the word of God, call me a liar. Believe the Bible. Don't believe me. Believe the Bible. I'm not the authority here. The Bible is the authority. Now, how do I know when a false teacher is trying to deceive me? How do I know that? How many of you, honestly, in the past, you have been deceived by a false teacher and you found that out? Right? How do you know when that's happening? 1 Thessalonians 5.21, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Check it out. Acts 17.11, I don't have the slide for it, is talking about uh, the Bereans. It says, but these were more noble than those in Thessalonica because the people in Thessalonica were deceived. That's what we're looking at today. But these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of heart, Mind with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures whether those things were so. 
So they looked in the Bible to find out whether or not what they were hearing was true. That's what we're supposed to do. That's how you keep from being deceived. You prove all all things by the Bible, then you hold fast to that which is good. 2 Timothy 2.15, study. Now, I understand that's a four, I almost said it's a four-letter word. I'm bad at math. (laughs) I know that's a cuss word. But study, it takes work. You know that there are religions that don't want you to study the Bible. They just want you to listen to the teacher. Uh, I, I used to go to a church where the pastor would say, say uh, okay, now close your Bibles and look at me. Eh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. So, study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I'm going to show you how to rightly divide the word of truth. What that means is you got to understand whose mail you're reading. If something's not written to you, don't do that. You know, my, one of my favorites is where the guy said, I'm just going to do whatever the Bible says. So he, he opened up his Bible. He said, whatever it says, I'm going to do. And Judas went and hanged himself. Well, that that can't be right. Go and do thou likewise. That's not the way that you're supposed to understand the Bible. Amen? How many of you are glad? Right? It's like going into the pharmacy. Pharmacist, You say to the pharmacist, I'm sick. And she just closes her eyes, puts a blindfold on, reaches up and gets you something. Here you go. That's the answer. No, that's rightly dividing. the. How many of you want your pharmacist to rightly divide the medication? The Bible is our medicine. Got to rightly divide it, rightly apply it, rightly understand it, rightly discern it. And that happens through study. So let's go back to 2 Thessalonians and let's look at how Paul does this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So what the enemy is trying to do is upset the ability of those in the church to discern the timing of biblical events. So like right now, how many of you have heard someone say, that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. How many of you ever heard somebody say that? All right, the mark of the beast happens during the tribulation. We're not in the tribulation. Do you know how I know we're not in the tribulation? I'm here. And we're going to show in a minute that we're not going to be here through the tribulation. And so, but if you are wise, you'll understand that the way that they're handling things like vaccines is the way that they're going to handle the mark of the beast. How many of you believe that? It's going to be required. You can't go to school unless you get the vaccine. You can't go to college unless you get the vaccine. Have any of you heard anything like that? You can't go to work unless you get the vaccine. You're not going to be able to buy or sell without the mark. So what happens is we need to be wise. We need to understand the wiles of the devil. How does Satan work? He does it through deception, and he does it through authoritarianism. The the violation of individual soul liberty. One of our Baptist doctrines is individual soul liberty. You are a priest before God. You are an individual before God. We don't believe in corporate salvation. We believe in individual salvation. Your mom and dad can't get saved for you. Your pastor or priest cannot give you salvation. It's between you and God. The Bible says, and as it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Now it's appointed unto the church once to die, 
and after this, the judgment. Individualism. When we lose in, in the foundation of American liberty, our First Amendment, our Second Amendment, that all comes from our teaching of individual soul liberty. And the, the rights of the many overwhelming the rights of the few, that violates the Bible and it violates the Constitution. And so when we understand what the enemy is doing, it helps us to know where we are. And what was happening here was they thought the tribulation was there. The young church had established a reputation for charity, love, and character. Uh, so look at uh, chapter. Look at First Thessalonians chapter one. Verse three. Remembering, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope. Look at what it says in verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you only, not in word only, but in power. Verse 6. And ye became followers of us in much affliction. So they were good people. They were good people. This young church had established a reputation for charity, love, and character, and they were deceived because people had affected their hearts. They were good, faithful, loving, and enduring people. And so this is something, oh, please listen right here. This is so important. All of us know good, genuine, kind, giving people who are deceived. And so th this becomes a problem when you think that the truth is governed by the, by the kindness of the one receiving it, that's just not it. I didn't say that well. Because a person loves God, that doesn't mean their doctrine is right. It's so important that we understand this. This church at Thessalonica, they were good people, but they weren't as noble as those at Berea. They were deceived. How? False teachers had infiltrated this church and were telling them that they were in the tribulation. The church was confused, panicked, and depressed. That's why Paul wrote this letter. So what do we learn? What's going to happen in the future? Well, God wrote it in the Bible for us. This book of the Bible is here because false prophets had confused the church. So when false prophets come in and start confusing the church, well, I think that we're in the tribulation. I think that, uh, that Fauci is the Antichrist. I think that whatever. When they say that stuff, you compare that with the Bible, not with the newspaper, as if those exist, not with the Internet. You compare it with the Bible. And... 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us that this cannot be that yet. So here's the answer to deception. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, we looked at it a minute ago. Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So let's look at the, the importance of rightly dividing the word of truth. I have three points. I know what time it is. We'll be done shortly. The importance of rightly dividing the word of truth. Our credibility is at stake. Our credibility is at stake. See, when we as a church, if we use flawed arguments to support our position, a good thinker can find those flaws. And I don't have time to give you examples of this, but we, we just say things that are nonsensical. 
Uh, we're a Christian nation. Uh, a Christian nation that exports pornography and immorality and requires homosexuality in foreign nations and puts, you know, the pride flag on all of our embassies. Is that Christian? That's a bad argument. A nation can't be a Christian nation, listen, unless all of them are Christians. How many of you are Christian? Praise God! That means we can be a Christian church. You see? It's a bad argument. It's a bad argument. And this undermines our credibility. I'll give you an example. Um, I was reading a book on the King James issue. And on the first page, or the first chapter, the guy's defending King James. And he said, King James is considered by historians to be one of the greatest kings in the history of England. I closed the book, put it away, because it's a ridiculous statement. It's a dumb statement. What did he do? I mean, I think he's a good guy. As a matter of fact, I know he is. He, he lost credibility with me because he made an untrue statement. Trying to de- he was trying to defend something good by saying something that was not true. We can't do that. You lose credibility. Where do we find our credibility? In the Word of God. Not only is our credibility at stake, our confidence is at stake. Because here's what happens. Our premise may be biblical and right. It may be our defense of the premise that's wrong. And so I know what I'm saying. I know that my idea, I know that the law, I know that the, that the gospel of salvation by grace through faith alone is true. I know that God created the world. I know that he's coming back. I know these things are all true. But if we as a church defend them wrongly, and then someone was, is able to demonstrate that we're historically wrong, we're factually wrong, we're scientifically wrong, well then... What happens is we lose credibility, and when they point that out to us, then we can lose confidence because we were not able to defend that properly. When I was a young man in Bible college, many moons ago, um, I would ask questions. Does that surprise you? I would ask questions. And what I found was that they would yell at me. You know, they'd answer it with bluster. And what I realized later on as an adult, I I wasn't mature enough to understand it at that point, they didn't know the answer. They didn't know the answer. And so what happened was they weren't confident enough to give the answer. So if you ask me a question about the Bible, and it often happens and I don't know the answer, let's go find out. Let's, Let's dig this out. Let's find the answer from the Word of God. I'm not the authority. The Bible is, and the answer's there. That's confidence. That's confidence. Not in me, but confidence in the Word of God. Our premise may be biblical and right. It may be our defense of the position that's wrong. When our defense or argument is defeated, we then doubt the veracity of our premise. Not only is our our credibility at stake and our confidence at stake, but our Christian mandate is at stake. Let me explain this to you. When our timing is off, so remember what's happening. So go back back to our text, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our soon or, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. Look at this. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away. What's that next word? First, timing. 
Something has to happen before the tribulation. Something has to happen. That, that's what it's saying. Timing. If, if Satan or a Bible teacher can get our timing off, then we don't know what we're supposed to be doing right now. So, when our timing is off, when we do not rightly divide the word of truth, we become distracted from the work that God has called us to do. Can I tell you something? My job is not to fight vaccines. My job is to preach the gospel. Can I give people opinions about my, the vaccine? Yes. Yes. Y'all want to hear my opinions about the vaccine? Don't give them to your kids. CDC just came out and said it's dangerous. Don't give them to your kids. And then the CDC head came out and said, well, we need to vaccinate every kid. Maybe she needs to read what her organization is putting out. What do you think? If you're a young man, don't take the vaccine. It's a chance of myocarditis. Your, your heart can swell. You're going to trouble in your heart. You've you got more chance of being damaged from that than you have from COVID. That's not what the church is here for. What I just said is true. If I, if I give all of my energy to fighting the government and fighting vaccines, I've gotten away from what God wants me to do. Examples. Theonomism. Christian Reconstructionism. What is that? So going all the way back to Augustine. Anyone heard of St. Augustine? Anyone heard of him? Going all the way back to Augustine, what happened was they thought, Augustine thought that the Roman Empire was God's empire because Constantine had become a Christian. He had given the edict of toleration. And so now we're going to have a Christian nation. And so what the Bible said about the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ, was that a whole bunch of bad stuff had to happen, and then Jesus would return to the earth and rule and reign for a thousand years. He said, well, I'm looking at this, and God has a city, the city of God, and it's Rome. So apparently, that was all allegory. It was spiritualized. It's not true. And so he made the Roman Empire the head of the, 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 the center of God's Christian world. Do you know that people are doing that with the United States right now? There are missionaries that think they've got to take Americanism around the world. No, you've got to take the gospel around the world. How many of you know that Jesus Christ is not an American? How many of you know that? Do you see the difference? My mandate is wrong. And so what happened was because of Augustine, and it started with the Donatists, a group of early Baptist people that didn't want the state to determine who their pastors were going to be, Augustine had 30,000 of them murdered, killed. And so what they started doing was they started believing that, remember what the, the sign that Constantine saw, the sign of the cross, and this sign conquer? And then that became the crusader's emblem. And they marched to the Holy Land to win the Holy Land back from the infidels. And the infidels were anyone that got in their way. How many of you know that from history? Right? What were they doing? They got their timing off. They didn't rightly divide the word of truth. Jesus Christ is going to come back and conquer the world. You're not. I mentioned, I mentioned in Sunday school and I mentioned last week, we're not going to stand up and fight against our government. As a church, we're not going to take up arms against the government. That's not our job. What did Jesus say? If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. What we're supposed to do is preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. 
If you're in the military, your job is to kill people and break things. As a church, that's not our job. What's the difference? When you mix the state, that's the government, with the church, then you mix up their responsibilities. And by mixing up the timing, you come up with this theonomism. That is Christian reconstructionism. What is that? We got to make us a, a Christian nation again. We need, we need godly laws. What does that mean? That means you require people to go to church. You require people to believe the way that you believe. You make them by force of law obey the Bible. You can't do that. That's unbiblical. That's missing up, messing up the timing. Jesus Christ is going to come back. He's going to establish a kingdom on this earth. We're going to look at that next week. He's going to establish a kingdom on this earth. And he's going to rule and reign with a rod of iron. We're not now. We're going to rule and reign with him later. Right now, we're subject to the higher powers. Right now, if, if the government comes down on us, we have to take that. Doesn't mean we have to obey him. We have to take the penalty. Boy, I wish I had more time. It's so important that you understand examples of messing up the Christian mandate. Can you imagine the difference? When, when a religious leader, you see the religious leader coming, you hide for your life. When it ought to be, this guy's coming to help me. I might not agree with him, but this guy cares about me. Is that different? Hi, I'm from the church. I was in Switzerland and standing at the statue of Zwingli and Eric Zwingli, the head of Zurich, big sword and his Bible, church and state. And he murdered so many Christians. He was in war with the Roman Catholics. The Roman Catholics killed him. But he as a Protestant killed so many Christians because it doesn't matter if it's Catholic. It doesn't matter if it's Protestant. It doesn't matter if it's a Baptist, which Baptists don't do. It doesn't matter. When you try to control people with the rule of law religiously, you mess up your mandate. My mandate's not to enforce your behavior with a sword. My mandate is to preach the word of God. Work salvation. They, they mess it up. They go to the Old Testament and bring, bring forth fruit, meat for repentance, and that you bring all this, you, you bring stuff from the Old Testament into the gospel. Repentance is a New Testament concept, isn't it? It is. But you don't have to do works to get it. You don't have to bring a sacrifice and offer it to God. No, no. You miss it. Salvation is by faith alone. Or we move into the social gospel. You stop preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ because you believe that your job is to make the world a better place. And you're going to make the world a better place by, by making it to where there are no more poor people. How's the war on poverty going? Doesn't work. It doesn't work. What about the personal nature of rightly dividing the word of truth? What's at stake? Your credibility is at stake. Your individual credibility. Your confidence is at stake. You see, the church is not Jim Alter. I can't be the one bringing, taking the message out. It has to be all of us. We have to know it. And then your Christian mandate is at stake. What are you supposed to do as a believer? What we believe determines how we live. When Christians are confused, it is not generally over some hidden, mysterious thing that is beyond their understanding. It is that they fail to apply the truths of the basic building blocks of the faith. That's why we teach these basic truths in discipleship. 
Now, how many of you would like to be able to communicate those things better? Be honest. Would you raise your hands? Man, get in discipleship. Get in discipleship. Come make sure that you're here for the How to Study the Bible because I want you to be able to do this the same way that I do it. Then we're all speaking the same thing. Rightly dividing the word of truth will keep you from becoming a target for false teachers and their doctrine. I'm just telling you, when, when Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door, I smile. Yes. Hi. Why? Because the, the, the false teaching of a Mormon, the false teaching of a Jehovah's Witness is so easy to defeat. It's so easy. Why? You just quote scripture and you watch them run. They always have their trainee talking to you. Next thing you know, the, the, the leader will step in front of the trainee to protect them from you. And next thing you know, they're heading down the road. And here's the fun thing. I had them right here on Edgewood Street when we lived here. One came to the door, and I, I did my thing, and the t- leader stepped up and said, you know, we've got to go. I said, oh, I have time. I'll go with you. And I just walked down, the, walked down the sidewalk with them, asking them questions. They couldn't get away fast enough. Do you know what I did? I protected the rest of the neighborhood from those heretics. Did I touch them? No. No. This is what happened to the Thessalonian Christians. So a practical example of rightly dividing the word of truth and will be done. There are two events referred to in verse 1. Let's look at it. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, comma, and by our gathering together unto him. Those are two things. There are two separate events separated by at least seven years. The first is the second coming of Jesus Christ. The first is the rapture of the church. So how had Paul taught the believers to distinguish between these two events? Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And look at verse 13. Again, he's speaking to believers. If you're not born again, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, that's the most important decision you'll ever make. Jesus wants to save you today. You say, Pastor, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you also believe that you have to work? You see, it's faith apart from works. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But by his mercy, he saved us. For by grace, that's a, that's a free gift, are you saved? By faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you're trusting in anything other than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for your eternal life, you're not born again. And it's not a process. I'm going to be good, and over a period of time, I'm going to become a Christian. No, it's an exchange. It takes place at a moment in time. You give Jesus your sin, and he gives you his righteousness. How's that for a deal? That's what happens. It says it this way. On the cross, he who knew no sin, that's Jesus, was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. My sin, I'm covered up in sin, you can't see me. On the cross, that sin was placed on Jesus Christ. And listen, it's enough. It's enough. And he proved it by rising from the dead. The work was done. The work of redemption. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But I would not have you to be ignorant, verse 13. Who's it talking to? Everyone, who's it talking to? 
Okay, saved people, brothers in Christ. Concerning them which are asleep, that's dead people. And that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So we sorrow when a brother in Christ dies, but not as those which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so what's the prerequisite? Belief in the, de- belief in the death, burial, and resurrection. That, that's the requirement. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. That's an old word, pre-event. It's gonna, we're not going to go before them. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Mom and dad, my mom and dad are, are, are dead. Man, when Jesus Christ returns, if he, if he returns before I die, mom and dad, their body is going to rise before I go up. Why do I believe that? Because it's what it says. Uh, there's no, somebody will say, well, that's just your interpretation. All I did was read it. That's what it says. All right, so, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, time, right? We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. What are those next three words? Everybody, what are those next three words? And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's comforting. Now, look with me. That's the rapture. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is the second coming. That's why it's referenced first in chapter 2 and verse 1, because he has just been talking about it. Verse 6, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. So he's going to pay him back. Verse 7, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed, do you see that? He'll be revealed, you'll see him. With his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, not that work, but that believe, Because our testimony among you was believed when? In that day. That day is the day that the Lord returns to the earth, establishes his kingdom on the earth, and when he does that, he's coming back in flaming fire, taking vengeance. We don't take vengeance. God takes vengeance. What do we do? What do we do? We love people. We preach the truth. So what was happening in this text? Paul is rightly dividing the word of truth. So, what was his authority? 2 Peter 2, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 1.19 says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Look at this. Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. That's Jesus. This is why it is so important to understand that the Bible is of no private interpretation. You're not allowed to say, let me tell you what this passage means to me. So if you had never been born, does the passage then not have meaning? What does the passage mean? Not, what, does it, what does it mean to me? 
It needs to mean to you what it means to God. It, means to, it needs to mean to you what it means. He had a more sure word of prophecy. The Bible says, Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. See, it doesn't matter what the Bible means to me. It matters what it means to God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that Scripture is spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2.13, we understand it by comparing spiritual things with spiritual. That's talking about the words. Our study of the Bible must be objective, according to truth, not subjective, according to opinion and feeling. Why? Because if you go by your feeling, then men with good speeches, I'm sorry, with good words and fair speeches can deceive your heart. The question is not how do you feel about it. The question is what does it say? The Bible is God's last word to man. When John finished Revelation 22 and put down his pen, God had said all he was ever going to say to man. In this world, in this life, God has said all he is ever going to say to you in his word. You can only trust the Bible. You can't trust man. Don't trust me. You can't trust voices. You can't trust feelings. You can't trust impressions. Oh, I just believe this is what God wants me to do. What does the Bible say? If you believe he wants you to do something that violates the Bible, your belief is wrong. You can't trust spine-tingling experiences. Glorifying God by studying his word. Let's all stand together. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for your eternal life? See, what we've done today is we have demonstrated the biblical way to understand the Bible. You understand the Bible in its context. You have to understand who it's written to. You have to study it by the words. And if you'll study salvation by the words, do you know what you'll find out? That you're a sinner and you need to be saved. If you have been saved, this is the good news. How many of you have been? You know Jesus Christ is your Savior, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Here's what it means. You can never be lost. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have ever, not temporary life, everlasting life. Do you believe that? Or do you believe you have to keep doing something to be able to go to heaven? My, 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 my begging of you today is take that feeling of, of, of works that you have and give it to God and, and just rest in his finished work on the cross. It's enough. His death, burial, and resurrection is enough. The Bible says he tasted death for every man he died once for... He died for you. He died for me. Rest in that. That's just too easy. That's what it means not to work. Rest. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Savior, that today they'll stop listening to other voices, well-meaning or not.